Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay. VBS this week. That was special. That was uh, Nicole... Volan told me that, uh, that I was going to be doing an activation session. So if any of you saw me try to teach to little kids, it was really comical. And uh, anybody see that? Anybody in here? Yeah, it was pretty ugly. Um, it was like, now this is your legacy. This is your purpose. This is your destiny. And like these five-year-olds are like, All right, here's some candy. Just take some candy. Just, just take it. So anyway, it was a lot of fun, though. But um, the theme of, of, of what we did this year was basically God's a champion, and, and, and he made us in his image. He also is the Christ, the hope of glory that lives in us. So if he's a champion, what's that make us? Champions. So we just really sowed that into the kids that, that, and poured that out. Like, they're champions. So the first night was God created us. The next night was what? God, God cares about us, Right? Uh, something like that. And then the third night was God meets all of our needs. He takes care of us. Um, what's that? God is with us. And then the final night, God is a champion. And, uh, and it's just really fitting that, like, we need to learn who God is. And he is good. He is a good, good father. And that's, that's who he is. So we really want to instill that in the kids of who is God and who are they. Their identity, knowing that their God is, is, is a good daddy, is a father, is the creator of the universe, and the creator of only good things, including them, so we sewed into, like, when people were making fun of you and saying you're not good enough, saying you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, that's a lie. That's a lie that's from the enemy, but God only says that you're good because a champion doesn't make mistakes. A, a champion doesn't create trash. A, a champion doesn't make things that, that, are, that are not, you know, that are less than or that are insignificant. He only makes good, significant, beautiful things. So that's really what we poured out to the kids. So I just want to start today with Hebrews 12. It's one of the only verses in the Bible that actually calls Jesus a champion. And um, I was teasing Nicole. I was like, you know, you named VBS champion and you never even read this verse. So I made sure I read it and with all the kids in one of my sessions. So, but anyway, it's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 and 5 through 7, NLT. And this will tie into Father's Day and, uh, and just, just why, like, it's amazing. It's, it's such a privilege to be a dad. But it's a greater privilege to know that I'm a son of the greatest dad on the planet. That's, that's the beautiful thing. And um, so he, it says this, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. God even told the prophet Jeremiah, says, don't, don't focus on the faces like, we're not here to please people. I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to try to preach a message that you're just going to fall in love with and meet every one of your needs and make sure that everybody agrees with me. I'm, that's not my role. My role here is to, 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 to let you believe in yourself, to equip the believers for the work of the ministry. That's, that's the role of the church, two things. Equip the believers for the work of the ministry and host his presence so that we can have a place corporately to worship him corporately to, to come in in unity and be a family and be one to do the things the Bible's challenged us and called us to do. And the number one thing is worship. 
It's the number one thing, the temple, the tabernacle, the, the, the holiest of holies. It was a place of worship, a place of sacrificing ourselves so that we could worship the Almighty. So that's, that's really the role here. So we don't focus on the faces. We don't focus on the people. And in our lives, we'll mess up all the time if we're always trying to please people. I can't meet all your needs. I can't text and call and meet with every single one of you. Although as much as my dad's trying to sell me out of the river and say that I'm uh, abusing tax dollars by taking too many lunches. Everything's accounted for, okay? I only take the lunch I'm allotted. But anyway, the deal is this. I, I can't do it to meet everybody's needs. Covenant means you actually aren't expecting me to do that. Covenant isn't what can I get, it's what can I give. So when we focus on Jesus, it means no one can let us down. If we just focus on Jesus and our identity in him, this is what we were trying to teach the kids this week. If we just understand we're accepted by Jesus, we can't be rejected by anybody else. When we know we're accepted by the king of kings, it doesn't matter who rejects us because it doesn't matter because the only one that matters is Jesus. So it says focus and keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Who's the joy set before him? We are. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he delights in us. He rejoices over us. We are his happy thought, and we were the joy set before him that he endured the cross because God, the champion, God, the greatest father in the universe, wanted to reunite us back to him. So here Jesus was able to do this and, and able to die on the cross, and because the joy set before him, he endured it all disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Listen, this is not, uh, you're getting spanked by God today, all right? His discipline looks a whole lot different than what we think it is. His correction is actually, actually a guide to get us back on track for who we were created to be. The Bible talks about that God is loving and what? Just. He says that he's loving and just, and just, a just God is bringing justice anywhere where there's an injustice. So if we're not living in the heavenly realm, listen, disease is an injustice. If it doesn't exist in heaven, it's an injustice. Depression is an injustice. Bankruptcy is an injustice. Divorce is an injustice. And I'm not saying there's not grace, and, and God's grace is sufficient for all of these things. We've all made mistakes. We've all made bad choices. We've all done some really weird, stupid things. I myself was arrested twice as a teenager. I was an atheist. I tried to commit suicide. And boom, but God. There was an and suddenly moment with the justice of heaven, the justice of God coming into my heart, coming into my life through an encounter with God's love that changed me forever. That's the justice. That's the correction. That's the discipline of God. The justice of God is bringing justice anywhere where there's an injustice. Kids going hungry in this world, especially in today's technology and advancements, is an injustice. And I believe he's putting creative ideas in people so that kids never have to go hungry again. Unclean water, those things are an injustice when from the, the throne of heaven, from the river of heaven, flows these ever-flowing waters. 
That needs to flow in the earth too, and it is. It's a matter of tapping into it. I've talked to Zach a lot. He's got all these creative ideas about renewable energy and all these things to bring it to Africa, to bring it to these places so that they can have churches that will be powered and, and, and fresh water and all these things. That, that's the justice. That's the discipline of God. It's only correction to get you back on track. Now, we make it really difficult for ourselves when we decide we're going to try to do it better ourselves. <laughs> Anybody been down that road? That's a road that sucks pretty bad. My mom and I, uh, we would have these disagreements and some of these fights. And uh, I like to politely call them disagreements. But she would always fight for the people who were always in the church and the people that had been here with history and years with us. And I'm like, but mom, we got to make room for the new people. We got to reach the lost. And we got we to gotta let that be, you know, part of our focus and our priority, bringing them into upper room and, and, and creating space and purpose and, 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 and things for them to do. And uh, she's like, Aaron, but you can't forget about the old people. You can't forget about the, the, the members and those who have been with us and the family. And we would disagree. And she's like, Aaron, and I remember her saying this one thing to me once. She said, Aaron, if you're not going to learn this, the easy way, God's going to teach you the hard way because it's going to be your way. And I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever, Mom, because I was a know-it-all punk. Anybody else been like that? <laughs> I was. When I got saved, I was like that 17-year-old know-it-all, right? So anyways, I did. I learned the hard way, and I learned a, a road. The next three years was me learning how to honor my mom and dad and honor and value the people of what they're caring of what God's calling the gold out in. Anybody can see dirt. But these gold miners, they dig through thousands of tons of dirt to find one ounce of gold. Listen, God, God isn't calling out your dirt. He's not afraid to dig in it just like he did with the woman caught in adultery. He's not afraid of your dirt, but he's calling out the gold. Why? Because he's a good father. Because that's his discipline. He's to dig in your dirt, sort it out, to get you to focus on the pure gold that you're created to be. Listen, a champion is somebody who never gives up. A champion is somebody who never loses. A champion is somebody who's, who's like great in everything. And God is the perfect father. He's the perfect dad. And he promises that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never abandon us. He's not going to abuse us. He's not going to manipulate us. He's not even going to say a thus saith the Lord to get us to give more money. That's not God. God, God doesn't manipulate and twist the truth to try to get things for his personal gain. He's not this God in heaven who's his father like, oh, just let me, just like a puppeteer. Let me just move people around and get what I want. No, he's a loving, amazing, gentle, good father. And he's willing to be ungentle if we need it. I experienced that. I experienced that. But it wasn't anything I couldn't handle. And it wasn't anything that was ever anything for my ill will. It's amazing. It's an honor to be a dad. And just as Matt was alluding to, like, but you don't have to have children to be a dad. Just as if you have children, some parents still aren't dads. It's, you can have children and, and not be a father. Many people have the ability to have children, but they're still not dads. And it's just this thing to where today's message is going to be, how are we influencing the next generation? How are we fathering? Listen, we're not called to raise up children. We're called to raise up parents. We're called to father mothers and fathers. If we're just always focused on fathering children, then we're always going to have to make all the decisions for them. Listen, at this age, 11 and a half, Chloe should be able to figure out that if I turn the water that way, it's going to be hot and it's going to hurt me. If when she's 17 years old and I'm still having to go in to run her bath, bath water, there's a big issue there. 
we're not raising up children. We're raising up fathers and mothers and leaders. And, and, and if you're not parents or your grandparents, maybe you work in an industry where you're, there's still leadership. Listen, when you go out to the grocery, God has created every believer to be a leader for the people around you to influence. This is a fathering, mothering message, but at the same time, it's a leadership message. Why? Because Jesus took 30 years to learn what it was to be a son, to learn three years of ministry, to activate leadership, to empower 12 leaders to replace himself. Listen, he picked 12 misfits. He fathered and led 12 misfits to, to empower and, and, and reach the entire world. Now, it wasn't up to him whether or not they grasped it. Judah didn't grasp being a son. Before you can be a father, you have to be a son. You know, if we look at Galatians 4 and Romans 8, it's this promise chapters of sonship and the spirit of adoption. And it actually is this promise to where he calls out, whoa, that was bad. It feels like I'm just out of a porta john. I can't get the toilet paper off my foot. Galatians 4, Romans 8. One time we took this kid, we took the youth to this thing called a live festival, and he had glasses, and, uh, and he comes out, and he's like all distraught, and he's like, I lost my glasses. We're like, what? I lost my glasses in the port john We're like, what were you doing looking down? <laughs> so anyway, squirrel. Galatians 4, Romans 8 has this promise about the spirit of adoption. All right, And it says that we can cry out. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer orphans. In another context, he promises us to never leave us as orphans. In, in 1 John 3, 1, he talks about that we are his children. That's what we are. He lavishes his love to us. So then we get Romans and, and Galatians here. He, say, he promises a spirit of adoption where we are no longer slaves or orphans, but we are sons and daughters where we can cry out what? Abba, Father. And that translates to the most closest dear uh, of endearment term of endearment to where we can actually say daddy there's something about that term when we learn to be sons because we can't be fathers and mothers until we learn to be sons and daughters otherwise we're coming from orphans and slaves mentality so a son is understanding who I am and whose I am a son is understanding my identity is in Christ and nothing else my identity doesn't come from the, the the title of lieutenant at a fire department it doesn't even come as husband. That's not my identity. My identity, my truest identity, so where if even Nicole uh, were to pass away or something, like my identity is still rooted that God is good because I'm a son of a living, powerful, amazing God who created the universe and who is also a good dad. He's my best friend. So this term of endearment, daddy, is the closest term of endearment that he could ever give us. So, so then all of a sudden I come home from work and, and it's this Fun, fun event. I love it. It's like 5.20 every day, I, roughly. I come home, and all of a sudden, I fling open the door. Everybody's doing something. Everybody's kind of usually all over the place. All of a sudden, I hear one say, Daddy's home. And then they all in harmony, Daddy's home. And they literally almost open field tackle me to give me hugs. There's something about that. When, when this excitement, this joy, Daddy, Daddy's home. Or, or when my little girl, Hadassah, who's, who's three, when she gets hurt and she's crying and she's holding her arms up for me to take her, you know, to pray for her and pray for her, her boo-boo. We don't kiss boo-boos in our home. We pray for them. Because when she's 22 years old, she needs to realize daddy's not going to kiss her boo-boo and make it better, but Jesus will. So, so, but there's this thing where, where, where she's expecting me to meet her need, nurture her, 
provide for her or this excitement that daddy's home. That's the same thing that we get to do. Daddy's here. Daddy. So in this thing, in this movement, but we can't always stay as, as, as fathering little children. It's, here, here's this cool thing. Parenting in life is kind of like a video game. Any, any gamers in here? Nice. So it's kind of like a, a, this video game. And, and, and champions, you could, you could be the champion of level one, but the cool thing is now you get the choice. You get to go to level two. So level one is being kids. And, and that's the cool thing about the kingdom of God is that we legally get to always be little kids and be so immature. And I get to come up here, dance with bubbles and lights and be stupid and crazy because I'm a peculiar people. And he gives me the legal right to, to be a little boy with a great big dad. That's the cool thing. Like he actually tells us to always have childlike faith in these things of like the joy. And I love it. So, so anyway, we get to do this. But then we also now get to be parents. That's level two. Level two championship. Now here's the cool thing about level three is grandparents. You get to fuel these little, little booger pickers, eaters up with, with, with candy and just fuel them up and then kick them out and send them home to mom and dad. And they have to deal with the mess later. And you're like, yeah. And then you're high-fiving your husband and your wife like, boom, we did it. Nailed it. It's pretty awesome that no matter what, grandma and grandpa's house always has the best food. They have the best cookies. It could be the same exact cookies, all right, that we keep in our house. But for some reason, when they go to the sets of grandparents' house, which we're super blessed that we get to inherit, like, awesome grandparents for our kids. So anyways, but they go there. They could be the same cookies, but for some reason, they're way better at grandma's house. But I know the feeling. But anyways, we're called to raise up fathers and mothers, not just raise up children. Listen, there is a leadership crisis in America. There's a fatherlessness plague that's going on. And Matt's right. I, I met last year, last calendar year, I probably met 100 heroin addicts. And I'd say 95% of them grew up or had a fatherless home. There is a fatherless generation that's coming up that I feel is a plague. And, and like, we can actually do our part in here. There was fatherless people coming into VBS, little kids, and we got to introduce them to the greatest father on the planet. The greatest father in history. And they, when they know that, nothing else matters. None of these wounds or hurts or deep issues will matter because they're going to know they're accepted. They're his beloved. One of the greatest things that we got to witness and be a part of at VBS is 15 kids said yes to Jesus for the first time ever. That was a genuine yes. Some of them may be your kids. We had an entire family get saved coming from a home that's not filled with Christ. We're literally changing family trees by what you sacrificed to serve last week or what the church sowed into financially of what made last week happen. Like that is so worth it in every level. But Forbes did this study and pooled experts, and 86% of them agreed that we are in a leadership crisis in America and our culture. Let me put it to you this way. The word even says this, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, 15, says there's many teachers. Some versions say there's, there could be 10,000 instructors or guides among you, but there's few fathers. And Paul's saying, now emulate me. Look, I've sent you Timothy. I've fathered Timothy. I've sent you him. Emulate me as I emulate Christ. Like he's saying, listen, I've learned how to be a father from God. But listen, there's many people that can teach, that can correct, that can point out your faults. But there's few people. If you read the message version, it says there's, there's many people that can put, give you correction. But there's few people to guide you and get you back on track. 
There's few fathers that can do that. Why? Because it is so much easier to find the dirt and fix everything rather than just empower them to be who God's created them to be. Dads, it's not our job to change our children the way God created them to be. It's our job to steward them as a seed into this land, into the kingdom, and, and, and we, we gently correct what needs correcting at the moment through teaching self-control and teaching responsibility and teaching the love of a father by demonstrating it. My greatest ministry on this earth is not to you. It's not this building. It's not our, our ministry, our personal ministry. It's me showing a relationship to the Father. Next, loving my wife the way God's challenged me to love my wife in his word. And to pouring out to my four greatest little disciples that I'll ever impact on this earth. And part of that is giving me a gift to be able to give them the best version of me that anybody else sees. Listen, it's an injustice if they get my leftovers or if I come home from work and they get my leftovers or they get my abrasiveness or they get my short fuse because everybody else took the goodness out of me during the day. I want them, and you need to ask them, you can't ask me because I think I'm doing it. But I can't wait for the day for them to be mature enough and say, what, what was best about your life? And honestly, it's my heart that my girls can proudly say that my dad was better than what anybody ever saw on stage. By the way, if you're new here, it's not a great message unless I cry a lot, all right? <laughs> just, just deal with it. I'm still stronger than most of you. <sighs> As I age, I can't say all of you now. I used to be. But anyway, listen, the greatest impact I can leave on this earth is four new little families who are married to amazing men that hopefully look like Jesus because they were raised by a dad that resembled Jesus the best he could. It's not a pressure on me. It's not this thing that I have to be perfect. It's in that even, even in my mistakes, I get to glorify God and show them what grace and mercy is. Listen, that's the greatest impact I could, I could leave to this earth is a seed of four girls who know Jesus, who know their identity, and can value that their dad actually looked a little bit like God the Father. Let me, let me move on here. There's a movie called John Q. Anybody remember it? Denzel Washington. Heartfelt, great movie. Uh, very, very uh, trying. His son needs a heart transplant. Can't afford it. Insurance won't cover it. Long story short, he takes uh, the hospital hostage in order to get his son on a heart transplant thing. Listen, being a good father is a life of sacrifice. It's, it's this thing of sacrifice that talks about covenant, that it's more about us, it's more about you, it's more about the future than it is about me in the now. So there's this quote near the end of the movie, and this is what should happen. Lola, she's, Lola, she's a dear woman, can't, comes to the 9 a.m., and uh, she's, she's been with us almost the longest out of anybody in our church besides us kids with mom and dad. And um, just, just super awesome. She's been helping with the church books since the beginning, which this year will be 20 years. And uh, we get to celebrate 20 years as a church this year. We don't know what we're doing yet, but we should make it big. So anyway, at the end of the movie, um, she, he says this quote and reminds me uh, what Lola says. She lost a son and she lost a granddaughter. And, and she says, it's an injustice not dying before your children or your grandchildren. It's this feeling of, of just deep, deep hurt. But he says this quote. He says, I'm not going to bury my son. My son's going to bury me. Now, he's, they've got snipers on him. He's going to face prison time, all this stuff. But he's sacrificing it all that his son will carry on. 
His son will leave a legacy. His son will live on even if he happens to have to be put away for life or die at the moment trying to get him on the transplant list. Listen, there's something about a father saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a life of sacrifice. Joshua stood up and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to be the spiritual leader. I'm going to take this thing. I'm going to demonstrate God. I'm going to reveal the love of God. We're going to worship. We're going to get into the word. We're going to do these things as Matt was referencing about Steve Justice's class, Steve and Sue. Like we're going to live a life of fulfillment in Christ. There's something when a dad puts a stake in the ground that says nothing else matters. My promotion at work, the car I drive, the home we live in, doesn't matter. We're planting legacy and his name is Jesus. There's something about the security of heaven and the goodness of God and revealing that we live for him because he's that good. I don't have to. I get to. I don't have to be sinless. I get to. I want to be. Like, I'm not perfect. We all fall short. But man... The goodness of God overwhelming us every time we mess up. Let me continue on here. Malachi 4.5 says this. It says, the last two verses in the Old Testament. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and hearts of the children to the fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Listen, there is this time where God is turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and hearts of the fathers to the children. There is a choice to be made that says we are going to raise up fathers and mothers. Let let me get to something. When we raise up children, it puts me in a position for them to always need me. And it puts me in a position to always be in control and always be the powerful thing in their lives. When we're raising mothers and fathers, we're teaching them to be responsible for themselves. And we're teaching them to have self-control and the fruits of the Spirit. Listen, another thing is, when we're raising children, it teaches them to survive in the present, but not thrive in the future. Why? Because they always need me. They always need guidance. They always need a list of to-dos. Listen, when we're raising mothers and fathers, we're teaching generational thinking, century thinking. We're, We're teaching what it is to think about descendants and times to come and the future of what we're blazing and pioneering now. And another generation might, might, might benefit from it. Listen, there's this thing to to where when we raise up mothers and fathers, there is a difference than raising up just kids. Let me put this in perspective of the fire department. If I'm raising up kids, every time I ask a firefighter to do an assignment, I have to give a list of what to do, how to do it, and why to do it. Okay, I need you to wrap that hydrant, and I need you to go this way with the threads on the hydrant. Then when you open it, go slow and turn the valve around. And then I need you to give a hand signal to the engineer to tell him water's coming. Then once that water's in, I need you to walk briskly with confidence to the front door to be the attack team. And I need you to get in there, and I need you to mask up, and I need you to go low. Listen, if we did that, I could never teach them. We need to teach them to be leaders. Say, I need you to grab the hydrant. When you're done with that, get to the front door and be ready to go in. That's raising up fathers and mothers and leaders in our culture to teach them what to do and how to do it in training so that when we get to the real event, when they're six years old, you can teach this so that way when they're 26 years old facing temptation, facing issues, facing letdowns in their life, they know to go to God in the process. Because why? Because they were led to a good father who helps them make decisions in the process. We can use this for any example in our life. Like, we're not raising children. We need to be raising generational thinkers who are called moms and dads and leaders. Yeah. L- let, me, let me move on here. There's an orphan mentality. And, and, and listen, back to the, the father thing. We have to think like fathers and mothers. We have to think like sons and daughters. We have to think generationally. Listen, God is the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He's the God of three generations. So, so here in this thinking, we're now thinking beyond ourselves and we're thinking beyond to what covenant looks like and generations to come look like. Let me put it in this perspective. Okay, an orphan and a slave only thinks of themselves and they only think for the now, now, now. Okay, if you think about that, they were still orphans and slaves coming out of Egypt, going to the promised land, but you, they didn't cross over to the mentality of sonship yet because they would say things like, if we'd only go back to Egypt and slavery, we'd know where our next meal's coming from. So then what happened was there was a transition that happened, and as Joshua's leading him in the promised land, now they're thinking like mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. Now they're thinking like, oh, if we just cross this, now we can go to the promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. There's a difference in thinking to say it's just for me and it's just for now and it's how did that person hurt me because they said this and they said that and it was in this tone and oh, did you see church today? They had those crazy lights and bubbles. It's not for you today. It was for the kids. You're thinking like an orphan if you're thinking that everything done here is only for you. Well, they don't sing in my key. Well, then listen to YouTube during the week. Find the key you like. Like, that's orphan thinking. It's a slave mentality. But, but listen, as we're thinking of, of generational thinking, it's, man, wasn't that amazing what they're willing to do in their whole service to impact the next generation? It was crazy. I really didn't like it, but the kids loved it. Like, did you see all that art? That's so weird, but I kind of liked it. Like, that's, that's generational thinking, that what is to come for the future. Listen, when we brought art to the stage, some people left over that one. Parenting, fathering is a sacrificial life. And that was worth it to see kids light up to say, I can worship with a paintbrush. I don't have to just worship with a song or a dance. I can also worship with a paintbrush and, and express how I'm feeling in my heart towards Jesus and how good he is. Listen, it's worth losing some people in a church to make some decisions like that when we're impacting the next generation. Let me, let me continue on here. All right, our mandate is to raise up fathers and mothers. The covenant concept is this, Daniel 4.3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from what? Generation to generation. We need to think eternal and bring transformational thinking from generation to generation. Listen, there were some covenant promises, and if you remember the covenant promise to Abraham, if you don't, you can look it up, and if you remember the covenant promise to Isaiah, both of those promises were for generation and descendants to come. He's telling Abraham, he's like, listen, this is a sign of our covenant. All of your people, all of your men, and all of your children need to have, be circumcised. And this is what the Lord, I'll pour out to you. I'll heal, I'll bless the land. And from generation to generation, it's all yours. He promised in the land. And he says, from, from generation to generation, your kids and your kids' kids. If we go to Isaiah, he says, listen, here's the covenant. And I'm going to give you to you and your descendants. Listen, the covenant and the fathering movement is actually moving beyond ourselves and thinking beyond that. Listen, in, in Europe, in England, they would take 500 years to build a church. In the first generation, the only thing they do is plant a forest. They would plant a forest for a church that was going to be built and finished 500 years later of a people they wouldn't even meet or know. Why? Because it's going to take 100 to 200 years to grow these trees that we're going to need to harvest for the church that needs to be built in 500 years. Are we thinking like that? If we go to Chronicles, we look at, we look at David's life, and David... David, he, he, was, he was told and he, was, he thought he was going to build the temple, right? So what happens is then God comes in through a prophet and says, no, you're not going to be the one. Listen, I say this often, but it wasn't because he wasn't good with a staff and a slingshot and a, and a crown. Like, he was awesome. 
It wasn't because he messed up the Bathsheba. It was because it was the next generation that carried the hammer. Listen, Solomon was the one that was going to build the temple, his son. And it was this. David then worked the rest of his life to build this dream that, that David had and made it into a vision. Listen, let's, let's go to Acts 2. Acts 2.17 says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see, will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. I'm finishing up here. I don't know if Brett's still here. I hope. Anyway, here, here's the thing. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. So here's, here's where we are in this story. It's the old men that have a dream, a blueprint, and the young men that have a vision, the construction ability to actually complete the blueprint. Here, let, let me put it to you this way. Moses had a dream, and Joshua had a vision to fulfill it. David had a dream. Solomon had the vision and the ability to fulfill it. And here's what happened. David worked the rest of his life to see the dream be fulfilled through the vision that Solomon was going to come up with. So the first generation pioneers has the vision, blazes the trail, gives the sacrifice. The second generation stewards and enhances the vision. Like this temple thing, it went from this cool dream that, that David had to supersize what Solomon had. But it was because David worked the rest of his life to set Solomon up. He got all the craftsmen lined up, all the goldsmiths, all the resources, all the finances, everything. And he said he just handed it to him. Listen, God had a dream to connect us back to him. God the Father had this dream to connect us back. When we were separated by sin, when we were separated by the chaos and the crazy things going on in the earth at the time. And Jesus had the vision and the ability to fulfill it. Listen, it's, it's the Father that has the dream. It's the Son that has the vision to fulfill it. Dubai. If you look at Dubai, 45 years ago was the poorest nation in the world poorest nation, but a father had a dream that one day, maybe one day our nation will be wealthy. Maybe one day our nation will be rich. The son takes it over. They discover oil. Now Dubai is the richest nation in the world in just 40 years. One generation switched the thinking, switched what happened, and the leadership came out to now the biggest corporate headquarters are moving to Dubai. Listen, it's not because they found oil. It's because they started thinking like sons and daughters and mothers and fathers and leaders. Iran, Jordan, these places have oil, but they're not the richest nation in the world. Listen, it's, it's the mindset, it's the thinking. It's we've got to pour into the next generation. We've got to set this up. So, so here we come to, to where we are here. We build for the centuries so that they can benefit. General Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain somewhere near the Gettysburg War, the Civil War in Gettysburg, said this quote, the power of noble deeds is to be preserved and passed on to the future. Listen, many of these people fought fights that they were never gonna see. You, you look at Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream that one day, little black boys and little white girls will play together. You know, the, basically that. He has this dream, and, and you think of the guys fighting the Civil War, and Abraham Lincoln fighting for these injustices of slavery and all these, these issues. And you go through history, and you go through these things of George Washington, Christopher Columbus sailing across the ocean to risk everything to find a free land for a people that they will never meet. That's fathering. 
to me, that's fathering. Setting up a generation. Setting them up for things that we're paying for so others they, they can play for. Let me, let me finish this up. Parenting, it's, it's, it's being champions. It's championing others to believe who God created them to be. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you with two quotes, and I want to read Nicole's book to you. This is uh, special to me because she wrote it, and I love my wife. But this was meant to be a seed that would fall on the ground, just like John says. A wheat is only good, actually, if the seed falls on the ground and it dies to produce other seeds later. We're seeds. Eventually, we're going to fall on the ground. We're going to produce a harvest. We've declared that over my mom's death and Drew, who passed away, that was tragic. BJ, so many others that are close to us here that have passed away. We've made a declaration that their bodies would be a seed in the ground to produce a harvest, that their life was not in vain. So that's, we look at this book, it's like this was a legacy book, and we're going to read it here in a minute. But let me leave you with this thing. We need to live like we're going to die today and plan like we're going to live forever. Let me, let me just say that again. We need to live like we're going to die today. There were some things that I didn't say to my mom because I had so much faith she was going to be healed. And I'll be honest, my faith was so strong it almost crossed probably in denial. And there was things like, I love you, I appreciate you, thank you for everything in my life. Drew before he passed away, even the day before he passed away, I told somebody, and if you don't know, two years ago in November, uh, Drew, Christie's husband, they were leaving church here, and they were leaders here, and uh, he died in a tragic car accident. But anyway, I remember telling somebody the day before Drew's death that, that he was an amazing father, and how good of a person he was, and how loving and kind and sacrificial he was, and how generous. I'm just bragging about him, and I probably did that 20, 30 times. But I never once told Drew that. So I need to live like I'm going to die tomorrow or today to where there's no regrets. Listen, I don't need to filter my mouth because no one's going to overdose on love and affirmation and acknowledgement and acceptance when I just pour it out as, as, as compliments. You can't overdose on that. But I need to plan for a future to set up a legacy, a generation. That's fathering. So here we have this book, and I'm going to read it like kindergarten style, Okay. It's short. There's a few for sale out there. If this reminds you of your earthly father or, or whatever, um, or if you don't have one, your kids, it, it's really good. It says this, my dad is the best dad ever. It's the title of the book. He knows me better than anyone else. He knew me before I was born. My dad brags about me to whoever he's with, wherever he goes. My dad always makes sure I'm taken care of and have everything I need. He gives good things to me and others too, and his gifts are always perfect. There are days when bad things happen, but I know my dad didn't cause those things. Everything he does is good. This happens often when people read her book. I handed this to a lady on the airplane last week and gifted it to her next to me um, when we were going to Minnesota. And I noticed she read the whole thing and then she just started weeping. And 
and she just held the book here. And after 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> 10 minutes later, she's like, it puts everything in perspective. She had just been on a journey. Her mom died two days prior. She was coming back home. There wasn't reconciliation in their relationship, and her mom passed away. And she's like, all I need to know is that my dad is good, that I'm accepted by a really good father in heaven. And it just touched her. So when I read this book, I remember those stories of going to a home full of trafficked women, and Nicole read this too, who didn't have dads. And now they're being introduced to a really good one. So... That's sometimes why I get choked up. No matter what silly things I do, my dad still loves me. If I spill my drink, break something, or make a mistake, it doesn't change how enormous, ginormous his love is for me. When I'm scared, my dad helps me be brave. When things aren't really going so great, or when I'm not sure how things will end up, I know my dad will be with me. When others call me names or make fun of me, my dad calls me a special tre treasure. If I'm feeling sad or angry, I know my dad will help me feel better because he is oozing with love for me. His perfect love means I don't have to worry, be afraid, or be left out. When my dad and I spend time together, I am so happy. We laugh, we dance, we have fun. He loves it when I'm happy and full of joy. every one of these pages it's scripture to back what's what's being said there they they're sometimes hidden you got to find them but the best thing about my dad is he's your dad too it's talking about our heavenly father so in the back of the book there's an activation we call it a jesus journey or an adventure with jesus so just close your eyes with me we're going to end this way it's just fun your dad is so good he wants you to spend time with him, and he wants to spend time with you. He wants to lavish you with good gifts. He wants to lavish you with his love. So he just wants to spend some quality time. So just simply say this. Say, Jesus, take me somewhere fun. And with your eyes closed, just, just picture Jesus, a loving, kind, fun Jesus, just doing something really crazy and fun with you. So just simply envision the Father and say, Let's do an adventure. Take me somewhere fun. Give you a few minutes for that. by a show of hands just did something really fun and creative with Jesus. Show your hands, most of you, yeah, almost all of you. That's as easy as it is. It's not some weird new age imagination thing. Like God wants to spend time with you. He gave you the ability to creatively think, to have imagination, to think beyond the now, to think for the future, to set up legacy and generations. 
as much as he gave you just this moment to do something crazy with him. We've had guys say, oh yeah, I shot machine guns with Jesus. Actually, Zach back there had that. We're like, well, what was the target? Was it like the devil's head or something? Like, what were you shooting at? And, uh, you know, people to go moon jumping and like planet jumping and scuba diving and all these things. So anyway, it's a really fun thing. We do it with our girls all the time. And that's as simple as it is. And uh, it's really easy. So could you just stand with me? We're going to just put your hands on your heart. We have the greatest dad on the universe. And uh, we're going to celebrate our dads on earth today. And if you're a dad, you'll be celebrated today and hopefully get spoiled. And some good gifts, maybe some encouraging texts or a card or something. And uh, we're going to take my dad out for sushi in the next day or two, who hates sushi, just for fun. New experience, new adventure. So... Um, but in this, in this day, let's acknowledge that we do. We have the best dad ever. The best champion ever is our papa. It's good. So, God, I just thank you for this people. I thank you for this family. God, let us leave encouraged, overwhelmed by your goodness and your love, overwhelmed with our identity of who we are, and overwhelmed by our acceptance in you, Jesus. God, we just wish you happy Father's Day. We thank you for being a good daddy. We thank you for never leaving us, never forsaking us. We never have to tell you bye. Even in our encounters or our adventures or journeys with you or even in a prayer, we never have to say bye because you'll never leave us. You're always with us. So we thank you, God. We thank you for your goodness and your glory. Happy Father's Day in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, dads, guys, men, hopeful dads, maybe future dads, happy Father's Day to you. We salute you, dad.